Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to the 14th episode of Growth Marketing Today. In this episode, learn copywriting secrets backed by psychology that tripled HubSpot sales revenue from Scott Tosley. He's the head of growth marketing at HubSpot Customer Hub. Now, you also get Scott's tips on the quickest way to become a T-shaped marketer and top mistakes marketers make when it comes to email marketing. Scott is just an overall nice guy. He shares with you how he spent $3,000 on this copywriting course just because how great the copy is. Man, this guy is so nice and he's so, uh, like I said, very smart. He's actually going to be speaking at the Growth Hackers Conference happening on February 6, 2018 in San Diego, California. You can check it out at growthhackers.com forward slash conference. I'm actually going to try to make it out. It looks like they have so many cool people that's, that's going to be there, people who are top, like VP of growth at, at Spotify. I'm going to get as many speakers there on this podcast as possible. Now, if you want the high-level outline and quotes from this episode, you can go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 014. That's growthmarketing.today forward slash 014. I don't want to hold you back anymore. Here's my chat with Scott, head of growth marketing at HubSpot. Hey, everyone. I have here Scott, all the way from San Diego, who works at HubSpot. How's it going there, man? Good, good. Enjoying the sunny weather over here. Thanks for rubbing in, man. I know it's, it's snowing here in Toronto, Canada right now. I've been saying that for a while, but thank you for rubbing in your sunny weather there in California. Hey, man, I grew up in Michigan. I experienced the cold. I experienced the blizzard. So. When I talk to friends, I want to kind of rub it in a little bit <laughs> and and get you to come out to San Diego. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Right. So we were just chatting about that. I'm going to try to make it out to San Diego for the Gold Hackers meetup in 2018. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited. Hey, I know before we talk about Inbound 2017, you gave an amazing talk there about HubSpot and your career. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your career journey so far because I really love hearing how growth people got to where they are because it's kind of not a linear path. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Yeah. I mean, kind of how it started, as I was saying earlier, I grew up in the tundra of Michigan. Uh, It's pretty cold and went to Michigan state, studied marketing. And I ended up helping a startup who came to Michigan state promote a concert. Okay. Yeah. So I went around and I was like flyering stuff on all the wall (laughs) on like restaurants and in the student areas and whatnot. And just really you know, kind of hustling to promote the show. Anyway, show happened. And then they asked me to move to LA, work for their startup and help promote other shows around the country. So kind of my journey after school was going into the music business and like event promotion. Okay. So I show up in LA and they say, Hey, we actually don't really need street teams, which is kind of what it was around these college campuses. But what we really need help with is someone to run our blogging team and our content marketing team. And I'm like, okay, isn't blogging what uh, like moms do in their spare time? <laughs> I, had, I had no idea what blogging was. I've never heard of WordPress before. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I started off for about six months. I like went really deep on content marketing, read as much as I could about it, met with as many people as I could in the LA, Santa Monica area. And then eventually one thing led to another and I ended up moving to San Diego. 
In San Diego, I worked for a content marketing agency called Siege Media. One of the, the guy who founded it is a really, really intelligent SEO content marketing person. His name's Ross Hudgens. Mm. Then I worked there for about a year. So now I'm like a year and a half out of school and trying to figure out really what I wanted to do. And I loved content marketing, but I wanted to get a little more into the software world, into the growth world. So that's when I started reading Growth Hackers. That's mm. when I started reading Inbound.org. That's when I started listening and reading everything I could. And one day I stumbled upon this guy named Brian Belfort. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> I think I saw his article from a Growth Hackers post on how to be a customer acquisition specialist. Mm. And I thought it was fucking amazing. And so <laughs> I took it and I took his framework he had and I wrote it on a piece of paper and I like stuck it on my wall next to my computer. And so then I could look at his framework that he had. It's basically his concept to shape yourself like a T. Mm. Go really deep in one area. So for me, that was content marketing. And then try to learn the basics of other parts. Nice. Psychology, copywriting, coding, paid acquisition, all that kind of stuff. And I was, didn't know anything. <laughs> and so I was kind of using it as my career rubric. Anyway, a couple of emails later from Brian, he just wrote a new blog post and he said, hey, P.S., if you want to work at HubSpot, just reply to this email. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. that's kind of cool. And at the time, I was reading every HubSpot thing, all the ebooks and the inbound methodology and that and copy blogger and all of the Moz and those type of articles. And so I responded to the email. Then we went back and forth for, you know, five or six interviews. And then he gave me an offer. So it kind of started with Growth Hackers. And then I learned a lot from Brian and his writing. And then that just naturally led to an interview. So kind of a mixture of luck and, yeah, reality, you know, <laughs> like I, yeah. I just really wanted to learn more about it and it, it just kind of fell into my lap. So it was perfect. And then I've been at HubSpot ever since. Mm. And it's about three years now. So my first year was very content marketing. My second year was what the inbound presentation is about. It's about basically taking free users and automating a conversion path to paying users. Mm. Uh, and then this last year, I've been focused on uh, kind of going up funnel again in more user acquisition for SEO and content marketing for a new product that we're launching in the customer service space. So in a nutshell, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my journey so far. Man, that must have been awesome. I've also read some of Brian Buffer's stuff early on. Like I think it's 2015 or 16 where I was just super blown away by what he was talking about. And it's just so awesome that you just replied back. It's like, hey, I'm interested. And next thing you know, you're working in his team, man. I'm telling you, it's pure luck. Uh, pure luck, happenstance, whatever you want to call it. It worked out. It was awesome. Yeah, so you're talking about your T-shape. That's a really great concept. Like what kind of other stuff have you grown into from content and you did focus on email and copywriting and now you're focusing on SEO and, and paid acquisition? Is that like how you're progressing through that T-shape model? Yeah, that's a good question. Really what I transitioned to was started in content marketing. And my issue with it is is very top of funnel and it's mm. hard to attribute actual value to yeah. the company. And so I can sit there and write article after article after article about productivity because we had an email productivity tool at the time called Sidekick. 
right? which like tracked your emails. We still have it. It's now called HubSpot Sales and it still does email tracking. But I just couldn't, it was really hard for attribution with content marketing. I think anyone mm. who's done content marketing for a while, you can all say the same thing. Attribution is really, really tough when it comes to yeah. that. So I wanted something that I could work on and then I could see the net output of it. And that's when I started really getting interested in copywriting. So I followed people like Neville Medora. He's a, he runs mm. a copywriting course. He's out of Austin, Texas. Uh, Ramit Sethi, who is also a great modern copywriter. Then I read all the old school copywriting books that were suggested by those people. And so I went from top of funnel content marketing to a little more down funnel. Right. And all about sales copywriting. Right. So I'd read a lot of direct mail copywriter like Gary Helpert, Boron Letters is a great example of that. So I kind of think through, okay, one foot in the known, one foot in the unknown. Mm, wow. And which is, again, something I learned from Brian, <laughs> where like I know content marketing, I've been doing it for long enough and I kind of get it. And there's a very interesting crossover to sales copywriting. Right. And so how can I kind of take what I learned from top of funnel content marketing and apply it to sales copywriting. Hmm. And then I went from that and then learning a lot more experimental frameworks and CRO and, you know, how do you, you have all these ideas. How do you think about actually prioritizing the ideas and working on them? Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you went laterally. So you went to an adjacent skill from content to copywriting, which is not really a leap. So like if you went from content writing to Google AdWords, that would have been a, a great leap, right? In terms of trying to be, you know, learning other marketing. Uh, yeah. Skills. And I think it makes a little more sense to go content marketing, mm. sales copywriting, and by sales copywriting, email is the channel. Like most of it was done through email right. or product landing pages. So, or like in-app product stuff. You could then take that copywriting and then, attribute that to sale to paid acquisition. Mm. But I haven't actually gone down that path. We have a lot of really, really smart <laughs> paid acquisition people at HubSpot. Right. And I don't know how much value I could add to right. HubSpot. So that's kind of the, the trifecta, I think. What are you good at? What do you want to learn? And what does the company need? And you mm. kind of got to fit in the middle there. Right, so I've never sense. really been hyper passionate about paid acquisition. Right. And we already have someone who's really good at it. Yeah. So I hadn't really gone down that path. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I know you became really great at copywriting and your inbound 2017 talk was about copywriting, how you were able to triple HubSpot's revenue, which is some of the tactics that you used that was backed by psychology. Can you talk a little bit about that to my listeners who might not have checked out your talk and, you know, just how did you triple sales for HubSpot there? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I gave this talk around like a couple months ago at Inbound's one of the bigger marketing conferences in the country. I don't know if it's the biggest. It's up there though. There was about 20,000 attendees last year and my room did not have 20,000. That would be crazy. I had like around 800 people were in that room. Just 800 uh, people, right? <laughs> yeah, it was still, it was still a lot. It was, it was terrifying. I'm like, oh, wow. It's a lot of people. Yeah. So in a nutshell, I kind of recapped what we did in 2016. And in 2016, we really worked on optimizing the conversion path from a free user of HubSpot sales product to a paying user of HubSpot sales product. 
Mm-hmm. And what we did was a lot of automation and a lot of uh, sales copywriting, testing and experiments and whatnot. Kind of how it worked, we have this system we built. Uh, there's two really, really smart people at HubSpot who helped with this. One guy's name is Michael Peachy. He runs the sales team for the sales product division. Now he's kind of doing a little bit more than that, but at the time that's what he was doing. And another guy's name is Sam Moizek, and he was kind of the technical wizard behind all of this because I didn't actually understand HubSpot's automation platform at the time because I came from content marketing. It was very like blogging-esque, whereas this is a little more technical so he could help out with that. What we did is we automated emails on behalf of sales reps and every email we worked on was automated in some way, shape, or form. Mm. So let's take two sales reps at HubSpot. One, the first sales rep's name is Rob. So Rob owns a territory, and that's how sales is divided at HubSpot. We have geographic territories. Uh, Rob owns the Toronto area. So every email that comes from HubSpot actually comes from Rob. But Rob doesn't actually write those emails. Those emails are written by us. And at the time, I was the one doing it. Now we have other people doing it. Or let's say you have Dave. Dave owns all the people in San Francisco. Mm. Well, everyone who lives in San Francisco who signs up for the free version of HubSpot is all getting emails from Dave. But Dave's not writing any of them. We're writing them. Okay. And the point of doing that was kind of establish some rapport with a familiar face. And all of the emails were around like, hey, how can I help? Or, hey, here's some tips on getting started. Or, hey, here's a case study on exactly how uh, a company in your industry used this free product to kind of accelerate their growth personally. And we automated that system and really optimized it over time. And how that tied back to psychology is there's this principle that anyone who's familiar with uh, customer psychology 101, uh, there's a principle known as the liking principle. Mm. And that means if you like someone, you're more likely to do business with them. It's pretty straightforward. You know, like I'm more likely to, when I'm shopping in CVS and I'm looking at two pieces of deodorant, you know, one is Dove, one is Old Spice. It's such a low cost product that those ads that we see actually influence our purchasing decision. Right. So Old Spice is really funny. I'm like, oh, that's, I remember that one ad. And then I buy that. Right. Or it's the same thing with purple mattress. It's a mattress. Like what differentiates one mattress from another? Like right. comfort, 100%. Like comfort is the most important. But then when you have a lot of high ratings for other mattresses, and you're like, oh, that one really funny ad from Purple kind of sways you because you like the brand and you're more likely to make that purchase. Nice. So a lot of things that we did with our email testing is we wrote really sometimes super weird emails <laughs> that all came from the sales rep and we were just constantly trying to make jokes and make it entertaining and make it funny because we're going back to that principle. If you like someone, you're more likely to do business with them. And so we kept trying that and we were getting like really good feedback from customers too. Of, this is really funny. It kind of makes me want to be more human in my approach. So it worked. And then I would definitely say there's a... Is there any particular jokes that you remember that you put in and you were like, I don't know, man, it's kind of weird, but like it worked. 
Oh, yeah, I have a great example. So it was holiday season around 2015, and we were releasing a new product called Meetings. And you can send out a Meetings link, and it has all your availability. It attaches to your Google Calendar or Outlook Calendar. And then you can just pick times that are available. And it's a really easy way to avoid the back and forth of, hey, what time works for you? How about four at Thursday? I can't do that. How about two on Friday? So that was a product we were releasing. And it was around the holiday season. So I'm like, what if we just wrote a poem around like meetings? And so what I did is I straight up wrote uh, like a little lyric and poem and like decorated it, the HTML with like little holiday lights on it. And I took every person's face. We had about 15 sales reps on the time working on this product. And I Photoshopped them and I put an elf hat. Oh my goodness. On them in the signature. And it's like from your sales elf. And then it had their picture on it. And then we could automate all of that to come from the right person. That was pretty funny. And I thought it would work well. Totally bombed. Oh, no. Come on. Totally (laughs) bombed. I know. I was so upset. I'm like, oh, this is funny. And I was, uh, I would share it with other people. I'd be like, okay, that's actually really funny. And I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. And it could have been a variety of reasons. You know, it's any experiment. Uh, You try to isolate the variable, but it's really hard to sometimes to actually isolate the variable. It's around right. the holiday season. People aren't really working. People aren't really checking their email. Mm. That could have been a reason. Another reason could have been the people we chose to send it to, the audience. Another reason could have been the content itself. Maybe right. the content was just sucked and didn't resonate with anyone. That's an example of a bad email. Example of a good email right. is the persona that would use our product is typically in sales. and Anyone who's a common theme of someone who's in sales is they really like sports. Okay. Like some people, yeah, Michael people. Peachy is a, he's a, he likes basketball, I think, or something like that. Yeah, totally. Right. Um, and <laughs> so uh, people really like sports or funny, crude humor type stuff. So we wrote one email around when Steph Curry was just exploding, he was everywhere in the news. And we had a reference to Steph Curry and how this new tool, you'll be like Steph Curry or something. I forgot the exact vernacular that we used. And then we had a little gif of Steph Curry in there, like crossing someone over and then shooting a jump shot and walking away like, oh. <laughs> uh, and we put that in there and that email crushed it. We nice. had a, a ton of meetings from that. And just like, r- what did we do? We did like Star Wars references. We did a reference of when <laughs> Kanye... Great. When Kanye West went oh my on stage, goodness. when Kanye right. West went on stage with Taylor Swift, oh man, there was, I think it was a new Lord of the Rings movie came out yeah. that everyone was talking about. Just a bunch of stuff that we tried to actually relate. We everyone's always getting these emails and these boring emails, right? These boring emails. So how do we actually spice it up and make yeah. them? If you start reading them and they make you laugh you're probably going to keep opening them. Because you're like, all right, even if I'm not going to buy this thing that they're selling, it's really funny and it's kind of entertaining. Right. And so we just tried to split the difference between either be extremely helpful and offer incredible advice. Right. Or if you're going to try to sell something, be funny, you know, like be entertaining because not everyone wants to get sold. And if you're being sold and you're laughing, reading it, it's likely going to turn into a conversion or... You know, it's at least entertaining at the least. So there's definitely what I kind of call the spectrum of weirdness. 
<laughs> really, really weird over here. And the elf thing, right? The elf, elf thing was it was pretty weird. I thought it was hilarious, but it was really weird. And then on the other side, it can be a, a much more straightforward email of, hey, mm. you know, you hit your limit on 200 notifications this month. Mm. You can click here to upgrade. You know, it's like a standard email you would see. Right. And that actually, you know, it does well in the right context. But I think the best is when you're kind of in the middle. Mm. You're, not, you're not sending the same email that every company sends, but you're not being so weird that someone's like, what did I just read? So in a nutshell, that was kind of what the presentation was about, how we built this automated system and then taking these psychological principles like the liking principle and some other ones are the isolation effect. What that means is you're more likely to remember the thing that's different. Okay, right. So, so let's say you're looking at a bunch of gray boxes and there's one red box and you look away and someone asks you, what did you remember? Mm. The red box, you know? Right. And so we try to always be that red box in the emails we were sending where things would kind of stick in their head. Mm. And there's a lot of companies that do that. Old Spice. Yeah, Old Spice with their commercials, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Geico has really great right, Geico, right. ads. And then you can go into the email marketing world. Eat24 has really great mm. emails that they send out. The Purple Mattress has good emails that they send out. There's a, a couple of those quirky sock companies. I forgot the exact name of it. Mm. Uh, those are also great examples. Yeah, so in a nutshell, that was kind of what it was about. It's automation and kind of building trust and rapport in our relationship with someone because they're the ones where the emails are coming from, but they don't really have to do any of the work. And you take the people who really study copywriting and know copywriting and think about it and obsess about it, have them write the content, but it comes from the other person. Okay. Makes a lot of sense, man. In terms of the process, you're talking a lot about experiments and you're experimenting with email and copy. Do you have a specific process that you were applying? Like, let's say you've thought of a great idea. You're going to do the new Star Wars movies coming out December 15th, right? With Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How would you set up your experiment, right? So you write copy and then what's the next step for you? Yeah, it depends on where we're at with the stage of how that particular thing is performing. So we tried to not do a lot of one-off emails. We did at the beginning, but then we started shifting it down because our logic is very similar to thinking about SEO or one-off marketing campaigns or partnerships. So those campaigns, what will happen is you'll get a giant spike and then it'll drop. Then you have to come up with a new campaign and it'll get a giant spike and it'll drop and you have to come up with a new campaign. With SEO, there's no spikes. Uh, it is right. a very, very slow progression like that. Right. And that's how we thought about email. And when we were designing these experiments, we wanted to mainly focus on the automated emails. You trip a limit. You create your first email template, but you don't send it. Now, how do we actually provide these helpful tips? And so we would look at, all right, what is the goal of this email? If someone trips a limit on email templates, our goal is either they go to the upgrades page and purchase or they start a conversation with someone if they have any anxiety about, you know, I want to buy this, but X, Y, Z, then they can talk to someone. Then on the flip, let's say someone just signed up for the CRM. They'll get these onboarding emails, but they'll be coming from the sales rep. And the goal for that would be activation rate. 
we don't care about upgrades at that point because we want them to actually experience the value of the mm -hmm. tool. And if they never experience the value of the tool, everything else we do is worthless. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. So it would depend on the stage. Then we would take uh, kind of our ceiling that we have for the conversion rate. So for example, let's say we have this upgrade email where someone trips a limit and we're sending them an email about upgrading. So we'll look at the volume of it and then look at the conversion rate and say, all right, is there much room we could actually improve this? Mm. And how we would typically start off is more aggressive experiments up front. So we would send one variation, like different subject line, different body copy entirely than the second one. And we do that multiple times to get a baseline of like, all right, these are all the ideas we have. Which one out of all these converts the best? Okay. And we'd see a difference from this has 0.5% conversion to this has a 3% conversion to this has a 5% conversion. Usually it's in that ballpark. And then we would take the best one and do more micro cuts of it. So, all right, can we change this subject line? And that'll move it a little bit. But that's only as we get more and more mature in our testing and in our experiments with new, and that applies to everything from doing this free to paid upgrades or doing actual customer acquisition. We want to just try different areas at a really high level and then narrow in on the smaller stuff. That makes sense. So you start off with aggressive experiments to find a baseline. And then, like you said, you start off doing incremental experiments to improve the one that performed the best. Yeah, exactly. In terms of the team you were running with, was it just mainly you or were you working with a designer and uh, an HTML person who would code that into email? Or were you like the, the jack of all trades doing everything? Did you have a team? Yeah, so the team was mainly Mike Peachy who did sales and then Sam Awizek who helped with the automation. But Sam was also a lot more familiar at the time with HTML and you know okay. all the, the actual technical infrastructure of it than I was at the time. Like today, after taking a bunch of classes and whatnot, I can do that and actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, like actually change everything. Nice. Um, but yeah, at the time, it was basically us three. Mike would do the basically strategy and the segmenting of, okay, we have these people in this bucket and we would all collectively talk about, all right, this is the exact email we're going after and the exact email that we want to optimize because every week there's 10,000 people receiving it. If we can get a small bump, that will actually increase the net MRR by 10%, which gives us an additional raise in ARR of like, $10,000. Wow. And so just by making these small little changes, because we have pretty high volume because it's a freemium product, we could have pretty substantial impact on the revenue. Nice. And would you guys meet weekly? Like what did your cadence look like? Or just once a month, you would come together, throw around some ideas and then run with it. Yeah, we would meet weekly, definitely. And then just on and off throughout the week. I've been remote since day one at HubSpot. I was kind of the black sheep when I started, I know. <laughs> to be honest. Uh, yeah. I was like the weird guy who is writing elf emails out in California. And <laughs> everyone else is in uh, HubSpot's based out of Boston, Massachusetts. Right. And well, they're technically based out of Cambridge. Yeah, so it kind of takes a little bit of time. I think anyone who works remote can empathize with this. It takes a little bit of time to build rapport and trust with that person. Right. And how exactly you work together but our cadence was every week we would meet and then 
just kind of sporadically through Slack, we'd be like, hey, can you jump on a Zoom call? Yeah, sure. And you get on and we talk through it. Nice. Now, just looking back from your experience with copywriting and growth and experiments and email, what's some of the mistakes you see like beginners make that you're like, yeah, I wouldn't do it that way anymore? Yeah, totally. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is people don't put enough value on writing. Mm. I think with a lot of things like Upwork and a lot of outsourcing the content, it's really easy to find writers. Right. It's really tough to find great writers. I think Dave Gerhardt, who runs marketing at Drift, he has like really good thoughts on this around there's a lot of content that's actually out there. There's not a lot of content that's good. And there's a difference between putting something on a page and having having something to say. And so I would just say valuing actual copywriting and then going deep enough into it. It's crazy. Like the smallest little changes. You change a couple words on a page and that's a difference in $10,000 of revenue. Wow. Right. It's like mind blowing to me. And to me, it's, it's fascinating that that's the case with just changing a couple words around. It makes that big of a difference for a company. And I think once you understand it and you see the impact of it, you're like, holy shit, I need to go deeper and deeper, deeper, (laughs) deeper on this. And then I would say another one is lack of focus, which has been my biggest problem. Mm. I have a total squirrel brain. I get really excited about <laughs> same. Really, yeah, I get really excited about new things. I think right. a lot of people who kind of have a similar mindset, and maybe listeners of this podcast can empathize with that too. You have a new idea, and you're like, "Oh God, this is such a new idea! I got to go do this." <laughs> And then a couple of days fade and you're like not quite as into the idea as you once were, but you still kind of are. But then you have a new idea that comes up and like, oh, I got to do this. At least me, that happened a lot. So another great thing I learned for Brian is just focus. A framework to help with that is we did a quarterly zoom in, zoom out, Mm. which our team now runs on that cadence to this day. So we, let's say we want to optimize for a few keywords, we want to rank for help desk software or something like that. Then we'll focus on that for a quarter and obsess about that. Anything else that pops up, any new idea, oh, what if we changed our email lead nurturing by doing this? The answer is always no, because does it help us rank for help desk software? If it doesn't, we're not doing it. It's been really helpful following that zoom in, zoom out. At the end of the quarter, we zoom out, we look at, all right, we're not ranking for help desk software at all. And now we're in the top five. And that's that specific example isn't relevant for HubSpot right now, but in general, really focus for three months on something mm. and create an omission list. What do you not want to do? <laughs> like if a new idea comes up, will you say no to it? It's been really helpful. And I'd say that's a, a common mistake I made really early on is a big squirrel brain. No, that's, I'm the same. Like, I, I feel like it's maybe people who are very entrepreneurial. They're always like trying to find new things and always the new cool things here. You're always trying to, I'm always trying to jump on it almost. Yeah. Times. Yeah. Same here. It's hard. It's hard to resist. <laughs> One of the things I've been trying is like having teams for my week. It's very similar to what you're suggesting is like, 
during my months, I have uh, I have a team for the month that I focus on. In, in December 2017, my focus is reflection. The one word I have is reflection. So mm-hmm. I'm reflecting a lot on different things. So that's interesting concept that you have there. I want to jump on your first point about the first mistake, which is getting more into writing. Do you have any tips or advice for people who want to go deep into writing? Like you just talked about changing a few words can actually might net you $10,000 more money. Like where would I or somebody, a marketer or somebody like an entrepreneur start like learning more into writing? Cause it seems like you've gone down that path and you know, you've uh, forged the way essentially. Yeah. I would say start with reading just some copywriting books. There's a lot of copywriting books out there. I'll give you my three favorites. Awesome. The, the first one is Boron Letters by Gary Helpert. Okay. The second is the scammiest title in the world, I'm telling you. It's called Cash for Tizing. Then when you see that cover of it, you're like, all right, I'm definitely not buying this because it looks so scammy, but it's amazing. It's honestly like one of the best books I've read uh, for like a holistic overview on how we think, why we make the decisions we do how to apply that to copywriting, et cetera. And then the third one is the Robert Collier letter book. It's C-O-L-L-I-E-R. I might be saying this last time wrong. I'm not sure. And that's a book that's highly recommended by Ramit Sethi. Mm. And he's, I would say he's the best modern copywriter from my personal experience. Really funny story is he, he basically sells courses on how to start online businesses and, personal development, that kind of stuff. I was dead broke out of college. I was like working for this startup, hustling in LA, had no money. Student loans were kicking in. And then I started following this Ramit guy and it's really interesting. And he ended up releasing some course for, I think it was three grand. Holy crap. And it was basically almost everything I had in my savings And what happened is I started this new job and I'm like, you know what? I think education is more important than paying off debt. Oh my goodness. So I bought his $3,000 course when I was dead broke. Why did I buy that course? Because of the words he put on the page. Like I've never talked to him. I've never had a single word spoken with Ramit. Yet when I'm broke, he can convince me to pay $3,000. So that's where I'm like, holy shit this copywriting thing is amazing. Like I just forked over this much. So then I just started studying him and I would take the content, the sales emails, that whole write, and I will rewrite them. That's a pretty common practice, which I learned from Neville Medora, who's sells a copywriting course out of Austin, Texas. So I would take the sales emails, you have, you're reading it and you literally just write exactly what they're doing. And I found that it's strangely helpful. It sounds like a dumb, monotonous task, but you almost get into the brain of that person as you're writing the Mm -hmm. same thing that they wrote. So I would do every other day, I would pick. So what I would do is like basically create a swipe file. So when I see a really cool email or a great landing page or whatever, I would take that, save it into an Excel. And then every two days, I would go in and rewrite something that I saved. And so that way, it kind of kept me on a cadence and a rhythm Mm. versus like, I want to be a great copywriter. Uh, (laughs) I kind of had a habit that, all right, every other day at 3 p.m., 
when my like post-lunch food coma is setting in, I'm going to sit down and rewrite this article. And I think that was helpful. That's pretty fascinating because I'm also an educator. So one of the things that I found is that our brain, it goes a lot faster than how fast we learn. So yeah. I think in the process of writing it down, you're trying to digest and slow down your brain so that it can internalize what you were seeing. Like you said, you were almost reading it from their point of view, right? At that point while you're writing or writing yep. it down. Yep, exactly. So that was pretty helpful uh, between just reading copywriting books, then rewriting what people wrote. And then the third thing is actually implementing it. I think mm. like, for example, I'm learning, I'm taking like a general assembly class right now on web development and coding. And if I didn't have to constantly watch the video, then do it, watch the video, then do it and watch the video, then do it, it would be worthless because I'd forget yeah. everything. I mean, I think the same thing applies for this. If you right. don't have means to practice your copywriting, make means to practice your copywriting, like find so a freelance, yeah, like find a freelancing gig, do your own thing on the side. Mm. If your full-time job isn't giving you that opportunity, make that opportunity for yourself. Right. So good, man. That's such a good tip. I want to move ahead from copywriting. What are you doing now? I think you're the head of growth for that new HubSpot product, right? Yeah. So we have HubSpot has three product lines. We have a marketing product, which is what we've been known for for the last 10 years, I think. Then we have a sales product. That's what Brian Belfour basically started. And that's when I was hired like a year after they built the product. And now we have a customer service product. Mm. So people who need help with supporting their customers all the way into customer advocacy. So you have a database of all your customers who are the ones that are actually referring you and telling their friends about you. Nice. So kind of the full suite in that chunk of the cycle. And then really what HubSpot has become and evolved to over time is more or less like an all-in-one for small to medium-sized companies of like from CRM all the way to customer advocacy. Nice. And your role for that new product is, I think, head of growth. Is that what I saw in your... Uh, yeah, so on that specific product, right. leading like the acquisition and everything, everything to do with that product, all the way from activation to upgrading to the, the paid version of the product. Nice. What does your team look like right now? I know you work with, I know Alex works with you and yep. is yep. there anybody else? <laughs> uh, yeah, so Alex and I are the main two people doing acquisition. And right now, I think I mentioned this earlier, our main quarterly focus, we're in the zoom in mode, is actually SEO driven content marketing. So we're taking product pages that we want to rank for, such as customer feedback or knowledge base software or anything in that space. And then following the pillar cluster model right. of basically, for anyone who's not familiar with that. Yeah, right. What is that? Like for the, some listeners who is not familiar with that. Yeah, so... For example, we want to rank for customer feedback software. And like, all right, how do we do that? First, make the product page. Second, you have to get links to the product page. Right. How do you do that? It's not easy to do backlinking and say, hey, you want to link to this product page? (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, I, I have no reason to do that. And so kind of what you do is you take a step back and you say, all right, what's the holistic strategy for customer feedback? Hmm. And so a month ago, a couple weeks ago, I put together like a five to 6,000 word guide on customer feedback. And then we would mention a bunch of people in the article, do our promotion and our outreach. And we rank for the head term of customer feedback or customer feedback strategy 
And throughout that page, we link to customer feedback software. Mm. So we do a lot of internal linking and whatnot to get that to rank to the top. Okay. Yep. So going back to your original question, that's what Alex and I have really been focused on. Then we have other people who are on adjacent teams that we have product managers who we work hand in hand with basically every day. Then obviously there's engineers and product designers on their team. And then someone who's doing sales and like go to market. So we're going to have a paid product. So it's kind of getting everyone trained up on what the new product is. And in general, we kind of sit between product and sales, even though we're in marketing technically. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And, well, likely how we're team is kind of set up at the HubSpot with everyone who does growth. We have a paid acquisition team, someone who's more in SEO and content, and we bounce ideas back and forth and we share a lot of lessons and failures and successes, but we don't have anyone in particular on paid right now. And the main reason behind it is we want to make sure we have uh, like high retention for our product before you know, pumping a bunch of budget into a product if we don't know anyone's going to stick around. We just want to make sure we make smart business decisions. That makes a lot of sense. And is, what's your cadence for your team look like right now? Do you meet weekly? Got to together some ideas. Well, you're Zooming in right now, so you're reviewing like yep. what you've done. Yeah, so we meet the people on like Alex and I, and then we'll pull on more people as our product is released. <laughs> like it's not even ready yet. So we're kind of doing demand gen and like getting the hype around it right now we meet all the time uh multiple times throughout the day alex and i are constantly doing remote calls and whatnot and making sure we're good and we don't have any questions and then with other teams usually weekly i'd say and then also same thing slack combos hop on a zoom call whenever nice yep as we wrap up one question i love to ask is for anybody who's studying marketing right now or they're trying to get into growth or marketing or copywriting. You already gave some, some resources earlier, but what kind of tips and advice would you have for, for people trying to get into that world? Yeah, read a lot. Listen to more episodes of your podcast. Well, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, just read as much as you can, to be honest. My personal go-to is I sound like a freak for fanboy, Brian Belfort, but I literally read and watch everything he puts out. Because I really appreciate his process and how he thinks about things. So if you're looking for another place other than this podcast to read a little bit of stuff, Brian has great stuff. He has a paid course called Reforge, where he pulls in growth practitioners at top companies. So he'll pull in the head of growth at Oculus for Facebook, the head of growth for Messenger at Facebook, person who's running the growth team for Dropbox, the person who's running the growth team for Slack, et cetera, and kind of takes the lessons that they have, extracts them, very similar to this, extracts them, and then, you know, kind of things evolve from there. And he has different frameworks and whatnot. So Brian's stuff is really great education-wise. And two other things. One is offer to work for free. Uh, This is something that I've told a lot of people Mm. who kind of ask, similar question of like, Hey, you know, I want to get into this. What do I do? I'm like, well, first read second, apply, uh, like actually apply the knowledge. Right. And, and you're not always in a place to do that. So for me, I'm like, I really want to get into growth. What can I 
do to help out for free. So I went to, this was like prior to me joining HubSpot full-time, I went to our local incubator in San Diego and I'm like, all right, what's the coolest startup here? How can I be like, hey, do you want some free help? And so I would just do that for free on the side because I wanted to actually apply what I was learning from reading, but I didn't have the opportunity to do it at the time at the agency I was at. So actually applying the knowledge. And then the last thing is set a new friend goal. So try to meet X new people per week in growth or whatever category you want to improve your career in or just life in general. That's something I've tried to stick with since I graduated. Uh, Like I just want to meet new people and, you know, make friends with new people around the world. So great. Yeah. I just think that's important for regardless if, if you're in growth or if you're a chef or if you're a teacher, yeah, it doesn't matter what, but like make friends in your field. It's so good. I think it was Alex who talked about how important it is to have relationships and build relationships. He said, don't be sketchy when you're networking. Yeah. So, uh, you guys think pretty alike and obviously because you work a lot together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alex is really good at that too. Yeah. And we talk about it a lot. You don't meet someone to get something out of yeah. someone. That was a pain I experienced when I was in the music industry for a little bit. It kind of felt like that to me. It was like, do you just want something from me or like, do you actually want to be friends? So (laughs) just actually being genuine goes a long way and it's uh, makes a big difference. No, it's so good, man. I appreciate that, Scott. Before we wrap up, if people want to know more about Scott, do you have a blog? Do you want to send them to your Twitter or LinkedIn? Like this is your time to just promote anything you want essentially. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I have a personal website. So I write there every once in a while. You can go there. I guess that's really the only, the main promo I have. And that's just my first and last name, scotttowsley.com. And the other thing, if you want like a customer feedback solution or a customer place to manage conversations with customers, we're building new software. So you can just go to hubspot.com slash product slash customer and it should be there. Awesome, man. I appreciate (laughs) it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I appreciate it. And hope this is helpful for everyone listening. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much, Scott. You know, you gave so much tips and advice and resources. I I think I'm going to read some books and uh, copy and paste some some, uh, sales copy like you did. I think that's a great idea. Nice. Perfect. Thanks for listening on this episode. I am so inspired by Scott one of the things he said is the best way to learn and grow as a marketer is to put one foot in the known and another foot in the unknown. And this episode really inspired me to learn copywriting, just seeing how Scott just took that to the next level. Now, if you want the high level outline and quotes from this episode, you can go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 014. Now, if you like this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please sign up for our Insider Club community at growthmarketing.today. Get the latest news and join our members-only Slack community. If you want any feedback, if you have any feedback or questions, or you just want to say hi to me, I love it when people say hi, send me a short email at ramley at growthmarketing.today or just even tweet at me at, at growth today. Other than that, this is Ramley from Growth Marketing Today and don't stop growing. Passion, passion,